welcome to the sixth episode on machine learning for beginners and today tonight we have with us uh, ganesh ayer who is an ai researcher and who has a great experience working in research and industries and who has worked on various platforms as a software development engineer and also an ai researcher and uh, once again repeating myself uh, we are just uh, creating this webinars to help one of the some of the newbies in this domain of machine learning to get started and uh, know how the industry looks like and how to get started with this domain so i'll just quickly introduce as of now whoever is on the screen uh, i am jay i am I'm, i'm a research assistant at arizona state university and i'm doing pursuing my grad studies in artificial intelligence with a focus on data science ashutosh uh, hi i am ashutosh i am a graduate research assistant at university of waterloo i work in natural language processing and deep learning and yeah I'm in the first year at my masters. Yeah. Awesome. Ganesh, would you like to tell us something about your background and your current work? Yeah. Uh, hi, my name is Ganesh Ayer. I'm a software engineer at uh, MBA and BW at end of clinical year class. So my role is the uh, platform for leveraging artificial intelligence in radiology. So the Center for Clinical Data Science is based out of uh, Harvard Medical School uh, to hospitals, Mass General Hospital and Brigham Women's Hospital. and the goal is to use ai and machine learning uh, in the clinical workflow so we're starting off with radiology and building on to like other modalities uh, uh my background is in computer science and machine learning i did my uh, uh computer science engineering uh from nit surat uh, where i did some machine learning projects uh yeah, i graduated from hiruvambani uh, institute where we all went i i did my grad school there and worked at Uh, MD University and Georgia Tech in the informatics department for two and a half years, uh, primarily in the space of data visualization and machine pathology. Awesome, awesome. That seems great. Mm. Right. Uh, so, like, uh, what was your first uh, outburst into the professional career, like into the domain of AI specifically? So, uh, what was the uh, first outlook you had in terms of industry or research? Ah. Uh. So my first first time uh, looking at AI was when I was twelve or thirteen. I used to play Age of Empires. I don't know if any of you yes. guys played Rise of Nations. No, so so I was a game model. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know. Do you know game models? Uh, yes. Yeah. So yes. those people who modify games. I I was pretty heavily involved in that community. I actually led Age of Modding, which was the biggest uh, modding community at that time. So we used to take. Uh, So my uh, so we used to like uh, look into building game mods, and that was when I that was the first time when I looked at how like uh, different civilizations played Age of Empires, and it was just like a text file with a bunch of if-else conditions, which is not really AI, but that was what AI was at that time. So that that was my first first uh, impression of it, and uh, didn't seem too excited by that. But in my uh, third year of undergrad uh, at NIT Surat, I started taking Andrew Ng. uh coursera course i think that was the first time it was offered uh yes. the machine learning course i don't know if you guys have taken it but if you if you know yeah, yeah, that probably the best way to get started with it so i took that and that changed it totally blew my mind uh just just looking at because uh, i had been read about like uh, symbolic ai and things like that but that never really caught my interest but taking that course really really opened uh, uh opened my mind to machine learning and artificial intelligence Then my final year, we were all supposed to do this uh, project to graduate college. So we decided. I teamed up with a bunch of 
other people to build a facial extraction recognition system. Um, so we used uh, kernel methods, which were state of the art at that time, <laughs> not not that popular now, uh, and used some uh, image processing, feature engineering methods to like uh, extract features and send them to the to the machine learning uh, to the classifiers. Uh, so that was very really exciting. We we had a pretty good time uh, uh, doing that project. Uh, so I decided uh, after I was getting close to graduation, I didn't. I had a couple of job offers, but I didn't feel like doing the job. I wanted to go to grad school, but going to America was too expensive, so I didn't want to do that. So I heard about the machine intelligence program at the AISC. They have an MTech specialization in that. So I was like, most of my study, most of my education has been through Coursera or online courses. So I'll just sign up for this and uh, take, keep taking courses. So I got into grad school and. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, did a few more courses uh, specialized in AI. Uh, the one course that I really liked was Information Retrieval that was indeed Majinda used to offer. I think it's still opposite. And I worked uh, at their lab, at the IR lab for a year. Um, uh, and that gave me a great background into Information Retrieval, NLP, and things like that. I specifically worked in Bio NLP. Um, so our goal was to use leverage ontologies and uh, uh, that are that are already existing in the medical domain to, to leverage them to improve our accuracy in the uh, in search engines. So we took part in this uh, uh, search engine competition called Play e Health, which is a pretty pretty good uh, information retrieval contest. Um, more like uh, kind of like Kaggle, but more academic. So at the end of it, you also get a paper, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> So we, we actually won that uh, in terms of the map score. So our team had the best map score, uh, and I continued that for my master's thesis. So those okay. are my like, introductory steps college in like as or how I got started into ML and AI. Right, right. And so like you have a good background uh, working as an AI researcher in uh, medicine, medicinal background. So mm -hmm. what, what does your current uh, routine look like? What are the kind of duties as an AI researcher you work in the domain of medical? And uh, what are the expectations out of you as a researcher or as a software engineer in general? Yeah, so right now at the center, uh, I'm not a researcher anymore. I work as primarily as a software engineer. So we're building a production-ready, industry-grade uh, platform for deploying machine learning algorithms in the clinic. So uh, we're partnering with NVIDIA and um, a lot of other companies to, to build these platforms. So my day-to-day -day job right now involves um, basically building the orchestration system, right? So right from uh, when the model is delivered to us, I, ideally in the form of a container, uh, how to build services around it, how to wrap it around services, how to uh, train it across a cluster of machines, uh, how to gather the results, how to feed images into these algorithms. All that pipelining, all that inferencing work is taken care of by our, our team. Uh, we also build tools for um, building the learning platform itself. So uh, these images that we use are highly specialized, right? These are, I don't know if you've heard of DICOM images. Uh, it's a specialized format in radiology. Uh, it's okay. very complicated, like it. Uh, so so uh, we have a specialized video for that and then uh, doing annotations, how to, uh, and uh, the difference between us and other players is that uh, if you're annotating, uh, say, for a self-driving car company, you can hire a bunch of people from 
Amazon Mechanical Turk or like just low cost uh, people right. to like keep drawing uh, things to you. But for us, we are, uh, our annotators are clinicians and radiologists who get paid like 300,000 a year. So we need to make sure that their time is super precious and we need to make the annotation experience as pleasant as possible too. So that that is another uh, challenge of the annotation side and the labeling side of things that we, we tackle. The third is uh, once, so once you've uh, got the data, you've trained it, you've deployed the model, how do you visualize these results in terms of the, into, to the clinicians that the, who are in the reading group? So uh, radiologists are very used to a certain kind of a workflow, so they don't like uh, a massive change from that, so we need to integrate these machine learning algorithms into their existing workflow, so tie up with a lot of legacy systems that are there in the hospitals and uh, visualize the data there. But I can talk in general about uh, the, the AI research that I've done in the past, and both in digital pathology and radiology and data visualization and stuff. Right. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. And so one of the one of the common confusions that uh, most of the newbies have is like, w according to your experience at Workspace and throughout in the in the domain of research, w what are, what is the clear distinction between an ML engineer does, what uh, AI engineer does, or what data science engineer does? And is there a clear distinction, or is it something too much fuzzy or too much muddy about in the industry? Uh, I feel AI engineer and ML engineer are pretty much. The same the role. Same. I don't think a lot of companies are doing symbolic AI out there. So if you're an AI engineer, chances are you will be working on a ML engineer. I feel, yeah, but there's still even even just in terms of like uh, being a data scientist versus an ML engineer versus a data engineer versus software backend engineer. There's still uh, a huge uh, spectrum there as well, and so so. I would say most organizations look for T-shaped uh, uh, players. So uh, ideally, if you're a data scientist, you have a depth in the data science, uh, in the data science department, that is you're good at training models, testing and evaluating. And But you also have a good enough uh, background in say, data uh, engineering, uh, machine learning engineering, and the backend engineering. There is how do you deploy this uh, to, to uh, at scale, and uh, how do you get the data from different data sources? Deploy, uh, build these pipelines to uh, get data from multiple sources, and backend engineering is like building microservices and growing them at scale. Uh, so, so most organizations uh, would prefer for the ML uh, engineer role. They would want uh, a T in uh, like sort of a spectrum between backend engineer and uh, data scientist. So. Uh, some somewhere in the middle. It's it's big and depends on organization to organization. I would say uh, different companies have a different culture. A lot of companies actually um, call their data scientists. Uh, I mean, uh, a lot of data scientists. Whereas for some companies, a lot of it is uh, the back end engineer work. Right. Right. So is it something like, uh, if, if, I, if I were to generalize, is it something like if you are an AI engineer, you are supposed to mm -hmm. at least know the basics of what a software development engineer works with the platform and in addition to that, maybe apply your AI knowledge. Is it something or is it something like as an add-on to what software engineer does or uh, maybe something different? Yeah, I mean, so I won't call it, uh, so every, uh, as I said, I mentioned that we share employee, even a software engineer would work with a product manager and things like that. So they are most uh, uh, inclined towards that side where they're working, they're doing software plus product management. 
whereas a, soft, a data engineer would yeah uh, would do uh, data science or software engineering. So there's always a spectrum uh, from from like right from product management to your uh, uh, other technical roles. Right. Right. So yeah. Right. I mean, I <laughs> Yeah. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. I actually have one question. Um, since you have worked in the industry and also you are in the clinical data science space, and along with um, the recent advancements in you know efficient models in deep learning, how much do the industry and clinical data science space trust in those deep learning models to deploy them for actual real use? I mean, since we look at from research perspective or academia perspective, we are kind of looking forward to uh, a number falling game where we just want to do leaderboard chasing, right? But how is that leaderboard chasing actually helpful or is there any trust associated with that for actual deployments of products? Uh, so yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. Uh, so we have a bunch of clinicians who are constantly in the loop and evaluating our models uh, constantly. So our goal in the first couple of years, I mean, the first couple of months at least, it's going to be to like get feedback real time from the clinicians. Uh, in terms of the confidence from whatever I've talked to clinicians there, they seem very happy with the results so far. The goal uh, of our algorithm is to augment their workflow and not to replace them, right? So uh, anything okay. that is making them uh, get decisions faster is obviously welcome. So, uh, what our algorithms do them is like guide them to specific regions in the images, which hmm. the algorithm thinks uh, where the where the uh, which would help the radiologist or the clinician to make the diagnosis. So those are things uh, that that we're using the AI for, and the clinician seem to be fairly receptive for that. Um, so so yeah. Oh great! So even in clinical data science space, deep learning is here. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of other companies that are doing a uh, great job as well, like GE, Humans, and Vidya. They're all uh, building their models. They're all trying to deploy it. There are a lot of startups like Path.ai, which does uh, right, right. technology. So, so mm -hmm. there are a lot of players in this space right now. That's good. Right. And uh, so, uh, my next question would be like you you took your uh, studies from undergrad to masters and then maybe uh, to further studies so what according to you would be and as you mentioned like you started off your machine learning and ai journey via uh, courses online and mm -hmm. pretty much doing all by yourself so it, it was it was a kind of a self paced journey so yeah. what according to you like what what should be an ideal approach if somebody wants to get into the domain of ai uh, is it something they can um, being an undergrad student, is it sufficient or research is something that should be, is highly recommended if they want to get into the domain of AI research in general? Uh, I mean, if you want to get into AI research, uh, then yes, you need a research background. But if your goal is to work as a data scientist or a machine learning engineer in a company, uh, then I wouldn't say you need uh, AI research, uh, like you know, research project mandatorily, but like you need to have a good understanding of machine learning. You need to have worked on uh, projects. So research projects is a great way to get started because as college students, uh, not a lot of other opportunities are there for you to do projects. But if you get project, uh, other opportunities to do uh, machine learning projects, then that's, that's great too. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think uh, it, unless you're planning to pursue 
uh, research, only then, then the research aspect of it comes handy. Otherwise, um, just doing projects, uh, doing courses, of course, helps and applying these uh, knowledge to, to specific projects or uh, mm -hmm. doing part has that time. Right. Right. And so, um, um, one of the like one of the related questions would be like you mu you must have applied to multiple places when you wanted to get a job in this domain, and you also work as a software engineer. So, like uh, uh, you must have applied to many other places where the requirements as an AI or data science engineer is. So, what is the common pipeline for recruiting looks like? I mean, uh, there there is a plenty of help available for what uh, what are the expectation as a software development normal infrastructure right. engineer. But there's not a lot of things that go on to ask for. Uh, if if I go on internet and ask well, what's the common pipeline for recruiting looks like for an AI or machine learning engineer, there's not much help available. They maybe do the lateral hi lateral hiring process. So as a fresher, uh, just out of the university, how should I prepare myself to um, get myself job landed in these domains, working in these domains? May maybe it a maybe may I let it be a research or any software development normal infrastructure engineer job. Right. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's uh, another great question. Uh, for me, uh, my personal journey was I did Google Summer of Course so with uh, the same organization that I landed my first job with. So they offered me a position right out of college. And um, uh, then for applying to clinical uh, data science again, I had uh, uh, someone refer me and uh, that helped. So I feel uh, the, best, uh, the best way to get in is through references. So uh, if you're just uh, there, I mean, there are two ways of approaching, like first is you're getting your step in the company, right? So you can either cold apply, like uh, cold send cold emails to like hundreds of companies and uh, that will have a success ratio of like 3% even unless you're from MIT uh, or you could uh, leverage your network and uh, get like 10, 20 people to about for you and then get your resume through the door. So most of the, I mean, Nine or ten times, if someone's referring you, then uh, your your resume will go to uh, 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 given that you have the right background. So once you're in, then then uh, it's up to you your preparation and uh, how you handle the process to get in the position. So I mean, if uh, so, uh, and uh, going taking a step back uh, is to actually have the right uh, background to to uh, to have that resume, right? So you need to make sure you doing projects where you're leveraging artificial intelligence, machine learning, you're taking the right coursework, which I'm guessing uh, uh, people who are looking to get into uh, AI mm -hmm. machine learning are doing. So then this is the three-step process that you do. Build your background and get uh, references or do cold emails uh, and then uh, do, go through the interview process. The interview process, as, uh, again, um, to break, uh, break it down, like software engineering, it's pretty well defined. You do uh, you Technical go through hacking the coding interview, yes. and uh, <laughs> it's like it's pretty straightforward. You solve a few whiteboard problems and uh, uh, right. get in. For for uh, AI, data scientist, machine learning, uh, I I don't uh, I haven't come across a fairly standardized interviewing process. It depends uh, from company to company. A lot of companies uh, give uh, a take home assignment to to like build a machine learning model mm -hmm. again, right. uh, uh, like. People have all kinds of opinions about that, but that seems to be a common uh, theme across uh, different different companies. Uh, another is you still need uh, most companies have one uh, whiteboarding interview process. So 
again, that's just standard tracking the coding interview or uh, leadcode.com if you solve like 30, 40 problems and then you are ready to like solve it on the whiteboard. Um, so these two are the more technical interviews. The others are uh, some companies, depending on how you aware what spectrum of the uh, AI machine learning spectrum uh, uh, you're applying. Uh, yeah, they also expect data visualization skills. So that's another good to have. So if you're applying for explainability or just like uh, data with heavy jobs, then they might expect you to like come up with a dashboard or something. So so it, uh, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I agree with you that uh, there are there's no like uh, formal structure as of now, which is very much present in the software engineering interviews. But there's still common themes that you could you could use to to uh, prepare yourself. Right, right. Yeah. And so like. Uh, like being a person like you have you have straddled in equal both amounts of industries like like you have uh, you have been a part of the industry working as a direct eye uh, intern and you have also been into the research I mean you have done your graduate study and then you came to US so yeah. what difference did you feel when you joined as a professional software development engineer is there something lacking in the academia or is it like some things you might have learned for example one I know is soft skills I mean there's a lot of lot of a lot of lot of other things that goes on beyond being just an engineer and doing your regular stuff so like uh, one of the one of the things like most of the speakers in the previous videos talked about is like working on scale something that they they didn't do that in the academia but they find a lot of struggle doing that in the initial years of their job what what something new like because you work in ai and healthcare which is one of the like two most uh, demanding things as of now so what is one thing that you noticed was totally different or something you didn't expect into the uh, industry and you might you hope you might have learned in your university academia yeah that's that's wonderful uh, so just to come to the point of scale in academia actually the largest scale uh, deployment that I've had were in academia so I, I, people are not familiar with digital pathology like one image is like uh, five gigabytes in size so if you're having a collection of like 200,000 images which is a small collection just right. that in itself is a pretty massive collection and just a simple segmentation algorithm returns about 20 million objects uh, per image so you get like 20 million into 200,000 into 10 objects just for a very small collection so so, so I mean like you, you can work with a massive scale uh, even in academia in terms of things that I find different uh, in academia and industry is Number one is the teamwork. Uh, in academia, I felt I was working alone. A lot of the time, it was just a lonely journey of me trying to be a DevOps engineer, a data scientist, a software engineer, a front-end engineer, and uh, a data janitor. <laughs> doing data Whereas in industry, you have a very nice uh, team, and teamwork is very important, and you're like uh, part of a team that is uh, that has a con uh, common goal and people sort of help each other out, which is great. Uh, the other thing is, um, uh, in industry, things are very organized. So you have like quarterly goals, weekly goals, and you have daily stand-up. So everything is like a very goal-oriented uh, and you try to get those goals done, whereas academia is kind of fuzzy about it. Uh, another thing is the specification of things. Like in industry, you need to have uh, contract of deliverables right whereas academia is like 
oh, even if we don't do it, we'll at least have a paper from it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, the, the good things about academia is uh, the first thing that I mentioned where you end up being a DevOps engineer, data janitor, data scientist. Uh, so you uh, get to wear all these hats. So you have a huge breadth of knowledge that you can use. Uh, the other thing is you get a lot of creative freedom. Like I could choose to work on whatever I want, whereas now it's uh, restricted to um, uh, things things that are uh, we are pursuing in our current quarter and so on. So those are like uh, contrasting options for, for, for both academia and uh, industry. Right. right. And also, like you mentioned, one of the things on your profile that you did uh, Google Summer of Code. And because I know you personally, like I know you also mentored as a GSOC in the community, right? In the G Google Summer of Code. So uh, definitely, that was a value addition to your profile. And it might have also helped you backing up your profile as like you have worked as on a real project what other things you think that you that you think made you stand out getting a job as a in the domain of ai as a software engineer or what are the things people should do so like working on projects how how should they approach working on projects and uh, is the, is that something recruiters look for or is it something research publications names or is it something internships relevant internships in other named industries what according to you like on a brief summary like you you go, went through the whole application process what things really make you stand out on your profile in working in this domain yeah i think i think you covered a lot of the important points so uh, <laughs> so, uh, internships are very important actually most of the people i know who have interned in um, big companies end up getting a job there so uh, that is a uh, uh, very easy uh, and very low hanging fruit just to like intern in companies and uh, you'll end up with a job there. Uh, the other is publications. So, uh, with publications, I feel quality is more important than quantity. A lot of people have a lot of uh, crappy publications which no one really cares about. But if you have uh, one or two really good publications uh, um, uh, in MIPS or something, that would be like fantastic. But uh, even like good. Uh, 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 AI or machine learning uh, conferences that that's that would be great uh, taking uh, winning competitions is another great way I mean taking part and like participating in it uh, is great uh, sorry about a lot of people yes. uh, so taking part and um, uh, in competition is great for like learning stuff but if you think like uh, coming 172 when a casual competition is going to help on your resume, then no. Uh, so unless you're in the top 10 in competition, then uh, that's going to stand out in your resume. Uh, so uh, that hack account winning all that uh, hack stuff, that's a, a good way uh, to, to do it. Uh, I'm taking, taking good projects where you can talk about so. Uh, make sure that uh, you have a full understanding of the project that you've done on your resume. Uh, so that, that's another uh, good, good way to sort of uh, distinguish yourself. Um, I guess I, I personally also look at like uh, things that you could point me to. So if you have a system uh, that is deployed and is being used by uh, thousands of people, even thousands of people, that, that's a good uh, good, uh, good enough. Uh, uh, give me a good response to, to look at our candidate. Uh, also, like your GitHub profile. Uh, I don't think a lot of people do it, but some people do look at it. I personally look at it. Uh, so your uh, GitHub profile, if I see 
uh, good li uh, library uh, listed in your know, profile that you've authored, that's that's again uh, a good good way to stand out. Right. And blogs and publications. Even starting a podcast, I think, is a great way to stand out. So good job with that. <laughs> On my way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have one more question. That uh, do you believe that most of the ML jobs are preferred for PhD candidates or or students or even in the internships are more for the likes who are in the third year or the second year of their PhDs and less for the graduating masters or the masters internships or the masters looking for internships? Um, I, I do see a lot of people with PhDs being, uh, being data scientists, but that is not uh, always the case. I've, I've also know people who've just done .ai courses and landed up uh, being okay. a data scientist. There are also people with masters who did software engineering and then took it to work. Data science role. Mm -hmm. um, so, so uh, yeah. So, I mean, although uh, it, um, I, I personally don't think you need it, but I've seen it uh, quite prevalent in the industry. So, uh, it probably improves your chances, but I would say it's a mandatory requirement. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, like uh, one of my favorite questions is always to ask is uh, like. How much uh, mathematics that you have learned in your academia you seem to be applying on a daily basis? So, like, is it something like huh. you always work on predefined pipelines already defined by your company channels, or is it something you are allowed to innovate within your workspace? And uh, are you are you allowed like again? I would I would re reframe the question rather is like how much do you apply what you learned in your college or universities to innovate something and bring bring a change? At least I, I the the question is much more relevant because your work working in AI and healthcare, that, that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's a huge space over there. So, yeah. Um, so I would say when I was in memory, that was uh, much more research oriented uh, outlook. So uh, at that, I had a lot more creative freedom to like uh, use uh, more uh, more of the, uh, uh, some of the math. I didn't, uh, to be fair, I didn't use a lot of the mathematics that I uh, uh, learned back in grad uh, school. I took a course called Introduction to, uh, Introduction to Machine Learning on edX, which it's a very mathematical course, which I don't know if you've gone into VC dimensions, that, which is like a theoretical bound on how well machine learning algorithms perform. It's, it, a dumb way to would be to compare it to big O in computer science. Like, uh, yes. so, does, so, but I mean, I never used a lot of those things. They seemed really interesting back in the time when I was reading into them. I spent quite a long time going through the theory of like each dimension and some of the other things that the course talked about. But uh, I feel I don't use that a lot. So. <laughs> right. So, so like, again, like, is it something uh, very uh, monotonous uh, pipeline that you have to follow doing something or Again, uh, like I would just again ask the question: like, is it something like you are you are innovating on a regular basis, or just something uh, as a infrastructure thing you work on? Uh, so currently, uh, my my role I primarily uh, work on like how do we deploy these algorithms at scale. Uh, so I'm not really uh, in the learning or the mathematical side of it. I'm more in, into like uh, link. Tools like Kubernetes, Nomad, and uh, the hashing stack to like deploy these learning algorithms at scale. But back when I did do a lot of machine learning and training, uh, 
a lot of it was I would try uh, intentionally try to like formalize the pipeline and just make sure that we ran through that. But the first time that we were actually building that pipeline, we did go through a lot of iterations of um, trying out different. But it was more of like trying out different things than uh, actually uh, using the map. Right. Yeah. And what are some of the best ways you would uh, suggest to get remain like remaining up updated to the current trend in the domain? There is a lot of research being done. Like, uh, of course, con following conferences and publications is one. What are some of the blogs like you might have done in your undergrad and maybe your masters? Like following some places. For example, I personally do on Kaggle. I just I just at least look through the competitions. So, what are some of the resources that you you would suggest the newbies to follow to get your themselves updated to the current trend and demand in the industry? Yeah, so so I think conferences are a great way of finding out what is uh, cutting edge right now. I also look at like papers coming out of Google. I, I personally like uh, the system side of things more. So I think Uber is doing a great job as well. They just open source Michelangelo, which is their machine learning platform, and that I looked at that and that was that was really impressive. Uh, and um, um, so those are the things like uh, a lot of these companies are also releasing uh, their papers. Uh, I also listen to a lot of podcasts, so that is one way I try to stay uh, keep updated with what's going on. So for data science and machine learning, I listen to Thinking Machines and uh, Data Skeptic. Uh, for software engineering, I listen to Software Engineering Daily, which is a wonderful podcast. Uh, software Engineering Radio is another podcast that I listen to. Uh, for more operational back-end systems level stuff, I listen to this podcast called uh, Changelog. So that that has given me a spectrum of like machine learning to to the operational side of things. Uh, in terms of blogs, I, uh, I I don't I, I used to be an avid follower of like blogs, but I, uh, I I don't have a list right now on top of my head. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. I guess. Yeah. That's. Ashutosh, do you have any questions apart from? No. I think. Um. Yeah. I think I'm done too. He's pretty much answered. Yeah. All my questions already. Yeah. All right. So, like, just one yeah. last, like, one last question. Like, what would be a short tip or some kind of do's and don'ts according to your experience you would like to summarize for any of the aspiring computer science engineer, be it a normal software engineer to leading like some aspirational com machine learning or data science engineer. What is in general advice you would like to give like look ahead for them? Oh, either uh, be the LeBron James of your field or be like in the top 10% uh, of two things. So either be the best person in like one field or be at least in the top 10% in two or three things, uh, two or three fields. Like, uh, so tonight, like if you want data science and software engineering, if you're in the top 10%, then uh, that's that's another way to succeed. So I think those two, uh, uh, two themes I see common across uh, various uh, massively successful people that I know. So I feel capitalism uh, rewards a rare and valuable skills. So that is two ways to stand. Two those two ways are uh, useful ways to stand out. <laughs> so, Definitely. <yeah. laughs> Definitely. And uh, like be because you also like follow more many of the trends. What according what according to you is something new that's coming out? For example, say 
uh, is it something like conversational AI bots or what according to is the like new trend you industry might be shifting to I know it can be a totally biased opinion but what yeah. according to you would be something uh, I feel something that I've been personally interested in is the explainability of deep learning algorithms because we do a lot of work with clinicians and uh, something that I feel would be really useful in the hospitals or just to something I've been thinking about like for, it's it's not I think like a lot of us been starting to uh, be done in this field, but uh, that would that is something uh, I feel would be really nice uh, and something that has a lot of potential. Uh, another thing is like uh, building tools for like uh, uh, making annotation, labeling, and things like that easier. So leveraging uh, uh, our machine learning AI there would. Be yeah, okay. This this brings me to one more question. That you mentioned that you work with um, actually data annotation too. So, do you is it explicitly based on the experts you hire, or is it also automated? Because in many fields you have it automated, but can you trust this for medical domain or not? Or it, there there can be biases, right, over here. That for some, that yes, you can trust, but for some, you can't take that risk of automating those annotations. Right, right. So right now, we are more like the annotations that we work for are all clinically uh, are all verified and are done by clinicians. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Right, right. Yeah. But this is just like across the board. I feel this has a lot of Hmm. Yeah, but maybe not so much in the healthcare realm, but uh, in some other places. Right. Awesome. Okay, yeah, that's all from this episode as of now. And again, thanks a lot for joining on this call on a Sunday evening. I hope we didn't <laughs> ruin it for you. And well, it was wonderful to talk to you all, and good luck with the future. Yeah, yeah same here. Yeah. Yeah. And Thanks. Good luck with the weather tomorrow <laughs> for you. <All> right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks. Have okay. A... okay. Good night. Good night.